Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello and welcome to another edition of the RazorWire podcast. Today we have a fantastic couple of guests and we're going to be discussing the future and the past of working from home. Where were we years ago? Where have we been recently? And where are we going in the future with it? So I'm going to kind of introduce uh, the guests. So we've got Andy Johnson. Andy, do you want to kind of introduce yourself and where you're from? Sure, yeah. So I'm one of the co-founders and uh, head of engineering here at a company called HiSide. HiSide is one of the market leaders in control file sharing and collaboration for hybrid workforces. And I'm in the UK. Fantastic. And also we have Aaron. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Aaron. I'm one of the solutions engineers at CyberArk. Uh, CyberArk is one of the leaders in privileged access management. Fantastic. And of course, me, I'm uh, James Reese. Please call me Jim, though. I am the MD for Razorthorn, who are a consulting firm. Uh, we also do pen testing, and we have a, a plethora of products, of which both of these guys are part of that plethora of products. And who could we have better than people who are working actually in this space to try and secure the nightmare, which is the working from home thing? So working from home, guys, it's been around for a long, long time. But 20 years ago, it was, it was VPNs and fat clients. Then it became thin clients and things like Citrix. And today we're now in a as a service kind of function. You can access pretty much every, you know, every application, every solution that you need to access without even a thin client anymore. I mean, when did you guys first kind of get into the whole kind of working from home thing? And we all come from sort of very similar sort of backgrounds but i mean historically when did you first kind of get involved with it yeah so i mean i've been working from working from home for maybe the the last sort of decade the company that i uh, worked at before high side and the company before that it was all remote based so you know we had sort of 40 or 50 people distributed all around the world so this has always sort of been sort of the default in my career but early on i think sort of it was almost sort of frowned upon working from home or there was a stigma around it as what are you really doing? Um, <laughs> and from people that had to sort of go into an office every day and commute, whereas I sort of got involved straight off the, off the get-go in my career with um, you know, remote-first companies. So it was almost just uh, like they, they were like very weird questions because if you don't put output out there and you don't do things, uh, you're not going to be at the company anymore. Yeah, that's sort of where, where I got started with this. And, uh, and obviously now, many years on, like we, we build a platform that helps companies on, around this. But uh, I, think, I think we'll touch on that on the, the current or even future part of the podcast. But I personally uh, love going to offices because I think it's like new and exciting. And, uh, you know, I love shaking hands and, and, and having that face-to-face. And I think uh, as we go forward, like there's going to be more of sort of this hybrid approach where you know, working from home is almost like the three or four days and, and going to the office like one or two days. Absolutely. I mean, I love that whole kind of stigma thing because I, I think that's stuck around the whole, are you really working if you're working from home kind of thing? Uh, for years, I, I mean, 20 years ago, 
there was very rudimentary technology for the working from home thing compared to where we are today. I mean, the laptops were huge and unwieldy at the best of times, let alone getting them to get me to connect remotely. I mean, we had like remote offices and you had ISDN lines. I mean, Christ, there's, there, there's something going back a bit. You know, there was always that whole, oh, I work from home on a Friday and everybody would look at you and go, oh yeah, you, you, you're working from home, are you? Wink, wink. You're going to be down the pub kind of thing. And especially with the old timers, the old school kind of businessmen, they were very much, a, no, you're in the office kind of bunch. And Like 9am 9, 9 9 or 8.30am sharp. Yeah, but but this is it, you know, and and they kind of felt that if you weren't there and they couldn't look you in the eye and they couldn't talk to you, you weren't doing anything. Which which wasn't necessarily the fact. I mean, IT people have been kind of working from home and providing remote assistance, especially at weekends and night times, for quite a long time. You know, a server goes down, an IT guy connects in. I mean, Aaron, what's your what's your uh, history behind it? When did are you working from home now? Did you? Was it something you did a lot of? Yeah, I'm, I'm literally sat in my home now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've uh, I've been, I guess, throughout my full career. I think maybe only three years of actually being in the office, and the rest of of being like a hybrid kind of setup anyway. And you know, that that kind of goes back across the full history of it, as you've mentioned. You know, with with full fat VPNs that tunnel everything, and you can't get to your home printer and. You know, there were security benefits for that kind of thing, but it wasn't exactly user-friendly. Um, and now, you know, I, I just connect to anything whenever I need to from my device and I'm authenticated and everything just works now. You know, everything's kind of SaaS, everything's in the cloud and everything's a lot more flexible. Um, but I 100% relate to that stigma Andy mentioned, you know. Um, and I think the stigma is maybe still there in some areas, except... Probably in IT, where it's it's now kind of a joke. Mm. It's a bit of um, you know, oh, you you working from home, you know, raise eyebrow. In, in, <laughs> um, where you know, it, it, the stigmas tend into just just the running joke in IT, where working from home is the normal. But maybe outside of IT, maybe maybe that is still there a little bit. You know, I know lots of companies that did rush back to the office after the pandemic um, because there was that you know, that element of maybe lack of trust so it's a very interesting topic i think now yeah i think i think working from home just doesn't do, doesn't work for some industries because of what they do i mean you, you yeah. know it's very hard to build a nuclear submarine working very working very distributed you need you know 300 people in a in a very secure facility you know looking at the same thing and connecting and to people that sort of work in construction and, and things like that that this can actually happen and, and still be productive if not maybe even more productive than commuting for two hours a day and sitting in a cubicle. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I commuted for a large chunk of my life up to London to clients or, or directly for companies that I worked who had offices in London. I mean, the FT had a beautiful office overlooking the river. And, you know, I made some good long-term mates there that I still keep in loose contact with even today. And, I, and something you mentioned, actually, Aaron, about sort of like the fat clients, It just I just remember having horrible, horrible comms issues because the the comms technology was a lot worse back then especially if you go back as, <laughs> as long as dial up yeah. and people had to have specialized isdn lines put in but with broadband now uh, and even in the early days of broadband it was pretty horrible you know you get dip ins dip outs but oh definitely 
well nowadays you could you can you can pretty much work off your mobile phone if you've got unlimited downloads and you're not you're not capped on what you can do from a from a data angle you jeez i've had to do it before where i've been at a client's and uh i needed access to something and i didn't didn't want to connect to the guest wireless or i didn't have guest wireless tether to the phone boom i'm downloading a, a decent sized file yeah, I've I've done it myself. You know, I've um, it's a it's a bit of a trek into the office for me, but you know, I like to go in. It's nice to see faces and things. And you know, with some of the clients that we work with, face to face meetings are just still very much part of the culture. You know? So um, I've I've been in a train station, uh, realized I needed to to deal with something, and instead of you know pulling my Mac out and tethering to my phone, I've literally just logged into a SaaS platform from my phone and and just done some work. You know. Mm. Um, so I think things are a lot more convenient now, for sure, with SaaS technologies and cloud first things. You know that that's going to be there now for a long time. I think, but yeah, historically that that kind of thing was never there. I, I actually remember trying to work out how to do it on an old phone. So like how <laughs> how do I uh, how do I use the inbuilt VPN client on this new iPhone six or whatever it was at the time? Trying to VPN in so at the train station, similar scenario, I could. I could quickly try to troubleshoot something on a network device and it was it was impossible you know it, it just never worked absolutely moving to, to to more modern times i mean christ i remember when citrix was the big one you know everybody had citrix for remote working you had your remote desktop it was it was secure for its time as a general rule because you were basically you were operating off a virtual virtual desktop so you'd vpn into the office you'd work off your virtual desktop and that was it. We we got it a lot easier, and you guys make good points there. Smartphones now, I mean, with everything going SaaS and access to thing, even something simple like email, that used to be a nightmare because the, you know if somebody sent you a large email, you could probably get it on your phone, but you'd be waiting for a while before it came down to you. Now you can get it in seconds. You know the technology has has grown to support that, and the virtualization thing that, that that has been going on for a long long time has just kind of pushed that forward but i think i think the before the pandemic kicked off and everybody became locked away at home and wasn't allowed to leave unless you were going for a jog you know going to your shopping there was still that massive resistance organizations still like the big corporate offices they still liked the you know ring fenced infrastructure with your traditional firewalls and ids ips and so on and so forth, all wrapped up into one kind of like network. Remote access was possible, but let's face it, a very small percentage of people took advantage of it. I mean, you guys probably are, are in the minority. A lot of us, it was in the office. Okay, if you broke your leg, you could work from home for, for a bit. Or if uh, your missus had had a kid or you know, you'd had a kid if you're a lady, then again, you could work from home for a bit if that's what you wanted to do. But it, it wasn't definitely the, the massive norm. It freed up a little bit. And I think just, again, just before the pandemic, it was at a point where if you had one day working from home or maybe two in a week, nobody really said boo to a goose, you know, especially if you were part of a progressive kind of uh, more modern style cultured company. The old school companies were still a bit funny about it, but... And it's something you know, Andy mentioned, it's, it, that stigma was still there. I think the biggest change was that pandemic, the lockdown. All of a sudden, boom, we all were all forced to stay at home. We couldn't go anywhere, get on a train, couldn't get on a flight, couldn't see a client, couldn't 
you know, meet with a colleague. That was it. You were, you were stuck. And I think what it did was it showed a lot of businesses they could actually have a massive cost saving. They didn't need the big corporate offices anymore. They didn't need the big corporate ring fence network infrastructure in the corporate office to facilitate the, the workers there because the workers were all at home. It was a great year for you to be a provider of VPN and telecommunications technology, you know, but pretty bad for, for if you're in hospitality. And because that forced the issue and we had to do it, we had no other choice. The benefits were seen, and, and I see this a lot in security in general. People don't necessarily um, see the benefits of certain types of technology like encryption, good example, data encryption, until they've had some kind of breach and they realize, oh, well, that would have actually saved us or that would have protected our data from being exfiltrated. So here we are now and we're just coming out of, of well, we've been out of lockdowns for a little while, but we're starting to see, or I'm starting to see quite a bit of companies now saying, okay, this is going to stay because we want to make some cost savings on those offices, that network infrastructure. We're going to go no, more now to the cloud, but we're having to, they're having to rebuild their kind of defense in depth because secure comms, there you go, Andy, is, is a massive concern, especially if you're in a privileged position and you're communicating privileged information and communication to other privileged people or end clients. Because if you're using Teams or Zoom, it's not natively encrypted, is it? No, no. So um, just to touch on some of, you, some of your points you just mentioned, I mean, I think the pandemic just, I mean, it changed everything, right? Every, we, we know this, but it's re- it was really push comes to shove, right? And it's almost changed things for the better. And, and sort of now we see companies are able to hire a global talent pool uh, as opposed mm. to, you know, within a, just a distance of their, their offices, because we're, on, we're, we're giving them the technology that enables them to do that and do that in a secure way, regardless of if they're just a, a, you know, a, a consumer-facing tech company or if they're handling very sensitive and regulated data. But I think it, it has brought some challenges in the sense that working from home, there is that boundary of, um, you know, when do you finish work? It, you know, when you mm. went to an office, it was you had clear kind of start and finish and, okay, that was it, I'm packing up for the day. Whereas it kind of all blurs in one. Uh, so I think one thing has introduced another thing. And, mm. But I think it is absolutely here to stay. And I think we're seeing this with, with companies where people are leaving and, and joining new companies all around the world. One of the perks now is this whole remote first culture and um, you know people that are forcing programmers and developers and you know, marketing um, individuals and things like that, people like that to come into the office every day, um, you know, just aren't getting the good talent. They're just not. You know, people are more comfortable than working remotely and happy employees do great work and great employees build great companies at the end of the day. Do you feel, though, that the whole kind of working from home has created quite an isolating situation for some people? You know, on one hand, you've got the whole cost saving because you're not jumping on the train or getting in the car and driving off. I mean, especially not with petrol prices the way they are today. I mean, let's face it, it's getting worse. But what it is doing is it means when you join that new position, you don't get that camaraderie. And, you, you know, you're only really communicating with people for a reason. And the human race are a very social bunch of creatures. I remember kind of walking down the corridor and seeing one of my work colleagues and they go, all right, Jim, I was just going to come over and speak to you later on, actually. I've got, I've got something I need to ask you. You know, have you got five minutes to, to kind of go over it now? 
popping down the pub on a Friday lunchtime or after work on a Friday or a Thursday and, and just kind of getting to know a little bit more your, your work colleagues, the, the, for, especially for those who are totally remote now, you know, it does, you, there, there is, a, there is a, a flip side to it. I've been remote first most of my working career. And, and uh, you know, I, I personally just love going into an office. And we used to have an office in, uh, in Luxembourg at Highside, and, and I used to go across every two weeks. Loved it. It, it just made it that bit more special to uh, to sort of take the time and and do, and do the do, you know do the face to faces and go out for meals and lunch and and team building exercises and things like that. I, I just think it just makes it that that bit more special, you know, when you're going in not all the time, but it's more of a rare thing. And Aaron, you mentioned you were in you, you were in the office last week. I mean, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think. It being less often does make it a bit more of a, a special occasion, if you like. I do find that I'm a bit more productive at home because I'm generally catching up with people in the office. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, as you said, Jim, with new technology and everything, I find that I'm coding on the train on the way home and then I upload to a GitHub repository when I've got Wi-Fi back. So I think that the balance is is fantastic now and how things have moved on. You know, the, the technology definitely supports remote working better. Than, than what it used to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, I'd, I'd probably go into the office maybe once or twice a fortnight now. Um, mm. And it's I find it's a nice balance, you know. Um, but I guess to, to one of the points you mentioned, Jim, around, around like new starters and moving between organizations uh, as an employee, you know, when during lockdown, I think it was maybe probably difficult for quite a few people starting mm. a new organization without being able to meet people face-to-face. I know when I started CyberArk as an example, you know, it was uh, it was just before lockdown. I think maybe five months before, you know, I was welcomed into the office. I was introduced to each person that was in the office that day, and it was a very you know warm and friendly welcome. Uh, and I think you know that that does go a long way compared to what probably most people received during COVID, which was maybe a a Teams call, uh, uh, an email, uh, a message. Uh, uh, maybe a Zoom video call, and and whilst that is lovely, and you know, making the best of of what's there, it's not quite the same, you know. So maybe there are still some people out there that don't feel quite, you know, integrated into organisations as what they maybe would, um, you know, working in the office before COVID. Absolutely, I mean, you know, just looking at it, you know, moving moving to the security side of it. I'm finding remote investigations because we do do a fair few investigations, customers, what have you. So I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but if you're investigating an internal individual for doing something that they shouldn't have done or potentially being a part of something they shouldn't have done, it's, it's so hard because you, you forget how much of a reliance you have, psychologically speaking, on body language. When you're doing investigations, when you're kind of sat in front of people and you're saying, right, explain to me in your own words what occurred, you know, people could kind of come onto Teams and say, oh, my camera's not working today. And you just kind of lose that important body, you know, body element. I mean, we're going other sides of technology. I mean, going back way, way, way back now into the deep, dark depths, there was a, there was a group of individuals, um, they were called the Jericho Forum. And they believed at the time that technology was going to get to the point where, you know, it was so it was all about deperimeterizing our infrastructure and our organisations. 
And I kind of, I was a young InfoSec person at the time. And I kind of laughed at them a little bit because I was like, no, you know, you can't decentralize security. That's just, that's just a nightmare. I mean, that was at a time when you still have physical servers on site in computer rooms and, and mini data centers on site. Um, but, but they were absolutely right. Credit where credit's due. I was absolutely wrong. They were all about securing comms, securing data when it was in transit and at rest, focusing on access control to things like the data. Our whole world of security has been tipped on its head because here we are in a world where we are fully remote now. The perimeter is not gone, but it's it's migrated out to a virtualized area. Everybody's home is now your office desk, be it at your kitchen table. You can't necessarily track where people are. So they could go and work in a Starbucks. They could go and work on some really sensitive stuff at the local coffee shop. And I'm seeing quite a few customers starting to look at monitoring tools, which is I feel is really intrusive, that use the camera to take picture of whether someone's in front of their machine, tracking keyboard strokes. It's 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 getting quite frightening out there with the measures that some organizations are taking to kind of provide assurance that A, those people are who they are connecting into the infrastructure, and B, that they are actually genuinely there and being and doing the work they're being paid to do for the hours they're being charged to do. Because I mean we're all we've all done the whole dodge dodge out for a early meeting at four o'clock and in actual fact just going down the pub with with you know one of your mates. <laughs> <laughs> in the industry for an external meeting for a snifty pint. Not that any of us would do it to our current companies, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like you said, the, the network perimeter isn't in a data center anymore. And you know, for, for a while, I've, I've always said, you know, the network perimeter kind of should move with users. Why should people be locked down? You know, we have 4G and 5G networks now. You know, Before you'd struggle to get a picture come through via... BlackBerry Messenger probably at the time, whereas now you could literally stream you know, 4K video live to thousands of people and it's crystal clear. So the network perimeter should move you know, with people and you know, we, we take an, an identity as the perimeter because, like, as you've said, it's about where the people are. It's about the people themselves. It's, it's maybe not necessarily about where they are anymore. Mm. And I think the whole security and, and intrusive side of things that you mentioned that there are ways where you can allow people to still work from somewhere like starbucks securely yeah. without being that intrusive as to you know taking pictures of, of people's cameras because let's face it they could be in their home i i don't wear a suit sat at home all the time at a professional desk sometimes i'm sat on my couch in t-shirt and shorts I'd rather personally not have pictures of myself floating around corporate directories as well. And that is a step too far. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that digital forensics should suffer. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a time and a place for, for security to be you know, enforced heavily. And there's a time and a place for organizations to trust that users are doing what they're supposed to do. And it, it probably is a difficult balancing act for, for a lot of organizations if they don't have the right tooling and monitoring available. And you're absolutely right, it is a balancing act. Because you do need to make sure, you know, because we've all had staff before at some point or another who catch out they're not working quite as hard as they feasibly could be working. You know, I'm not a slave driver by any stretch of the imagination. 
But equally, you've got to you've got to have assurance they're at least getting on and doing the stuff that they're doing. And I can kind of understand, especially in environments where you're not necessarily employing the most professional of people, people who are working in, in far lower end jobs who feasibly could be doing a, a little bit more skiving than somebody who's, say, a developer. I've known developers who work best in the middle of the night. They kind of sleep during the afternoon and then they code at night. And, and their, their employers are very much along the lines of, well, as long as you get your code in, in time for crunch time, it doesn't really matter to me when you work, you work whenever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as long as they're around for sort of critical meetings or things like that. Yeah. But yeah, like two hours in the night might be the equivalent of eight hours productivity in the day. Mm. We certainly have people at Highside that work from 9 p.m. through to like kind of 5 a.m. Um, or so, and it's uh, dramatically more productive. For those sorts, of, for those people, yeah, I've, I've done the same thing. To be honest, just to show, to add to that, I guess you know, I've I've worked in organisations in roles where I've I've logged off slightly earlier to make sure that I can pick the kids up from school, um, you know, spend some family time, and then I've logged back in after they've gone to bed, and I've carried on working. And at the end of the day, I've put in far more hours in the week than what I would have done if I was sat at a desk doing a nine to five, you know. I think maybe during the pandemic and and everything that's gone on, there the has been probably a shift with a lot of people where they've realised that family time is more of a priority now when they've kind of gotten used to being around their kids and the family more during the day. Mm. And those flexible working hours are now starting to adjust to reflect that post-pandemic. I, I saw an interesting graph um, last week uh, around, um, I think it was just the, the amount of hours that people have spent logging on to sort of like a corporate network and, and, do, and doing work. Um, and it did, you know, begins to dip around 4 p.m. And then you do get this sort of, it zips back up around sort of 9, 10 p.m. when people come on and do that last bit of work for the next day. So just to, you know, to complement your story there, Aaron. That, that was literally my cycle. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd pick the kids up from school, I'd, I'd maybe finish one or two more calls, and I'd, I'd probably log off at like four, half past four, you know, do dinner, spend some family time, and then eight, nine o'clock, pretty much the exact same cycle like you mentioned, I'd log in, and sometimes I'd get so into it and just be in the zone that I wouldn't finish until half past two in the morning. Um, but that didn't make me unhappy. I felt I felt comfortable doing that because I felt more productive. I was more focused and I was generally a lot happier as well because, you know, I wasn't tied to a desk nine to five like I have been in previous roles before that. You know, I was able to be trusted to do the work that I needed to do for when it needed to be delivered. I got more family time and you know, the organization that I worked for at the time actually got more productive um, designs and, and output from me as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I I have a bit of a hybrid model. I suffer from like pretty bad insomnia, something that, that that very few people know apart from people who know me personally. So I get up at like three in the morning, every morning, really weird. And that's when I start work. Maybe not immediately. I go and get a coffee first and, and kind of try to remember what my name is and what day it is. But I'll quite often start working at about, say, four o'clock once I've, I've kind of woken up properly, 3, 3.30, I tend to wake up. So by the time everybody's kind of coming online at like 8 o'clock, I've already had a quite, a, quite a few good hours worth of work. And I love it because it means nobody bugs me. There's no co people calling you just for a quick chat. There's no people asking you to look at a document. You know, if I'm doing customer work, it's brilliant because I could just sit there and just go from A to B 
you know, <laughs> and I could stop when I want. And there's just no interruptions. But then I don't tend to work in the evenings. I, I myself, I'm a father. I go home. I see my kids before bedtime. And then I spend the evening either hanging out with the missus or if she's had a tiring day with, you know, with the kids or, or with what she does, uh, she'll go to bed early and then it's horror movie time. Yay. You know, I get a bit of time to myself and then I, I go to bed and the whole cycle, cycle repeats. But I mean, do you think there, you know, where from a security sense, do you think this is going to be going forward? Where do you think we're going to, you know, companies are going to focus on? I mean, secure comms most definitely. I think that's a given and that's a must. I do wish that people would wake up that, that some of the more conventional solutions they've been using don't encrypt those organizations, you know, will have access to conversations and recordings and that kind of thing. But, I've seen a big resurgence in data encryption as well because the big rise of ransomware, a lot of it has been perpetrated through stealing credentials and access brokers who've stolen credentials. So like MFA, has, has, whereas before it was a good idea to have MFA, I mean, the most recent version of PCI, they've made having a, user, you know, a username and password, especially a password, so ridiculously complicated now for your average user the MFA is just easier. You know, you put in MFA and you don't need anything quite as complicated. And it's it, as I said before, with, with Jericho stuff, you know, Jericho Forum, they were absolutely right. It's deperimeterizing and you're, you're, it's now asset-based security. But do you think there's also going to be an interest in signature-based security as well? I don't know if you guys have come across much of that, but there was a period of time where, like, it wasn't just typing in your password, one of your factors could be the way that you typed in a signature-based system. You know, do you think there's going to be more tools that are based around when you work? We've, we've just discussed, I like to work early in the morning. You know, Aaron likes to work feasibly until two in the morning. Do you think there's a market there for, I don't want to say AI because I don't believe that AI is there yet. It's, it's machine learning. But do you reckon there's going to be some machine learning products out there being developed? There probably already is, to be fair, that tracks when people are normally in and behavioral analytics. I think so. But I think it's going to take time to develop it to a point that uh, it works and works very correctly. And it's not locking people out all the time with false positives and things like that. Because if it becomes such a nuisance, people just won't use it. Yeah, I think um, I think you, you have a good point there. You know, if someone wants to log in for three hours randomly on a Thursday evening to do some extra work, that that could flag up a false positive. Um, but it kind of depends on the kind of systems that people are trying to access to. You know, there's there's going to be a difference between a developer maybe logging into a you know a central repository and publishing code to a database admin logging into a business critical database at nine in the evening. You know, there's there's a fine line between being more productive and something you know that that probably shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, outside of change windows and things like that. I think that the behavioral analytics is going to be quite interesting to see how that evolves and and how that starts to be integrated into how people are working. But I think in terms of security as well, it, it kind of comes down to to the device. Mm. You, know, you mentioned around privileged credentials being used. That kind of puts a, a heavy onus on the security of the device that is being given to employees. 
how is privilege being monitored on the end on the end device? What sort of ransomware protection is there? If we're using SaaS products and VPNs aren't being used, that essentially means that our organization is part of all of the home networks as well. Mm. No, worms propagate themselves through open ports throughout Wi-Fi networks. If the VPN's not there, the device is no longer protected. So always on VPNs do still have a place in this world, I think. Um, and it's just really down to the levels of security and layering up the approach to defend against all of these modern attacks for a moving workforce, essentially. Yeah, we, we like to think of cybersecurity as just being a, a jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, uh, there's just so many pieces to it. There's not one piece that sort of is the, solu- is the, is the ultimate solution. You've got to you know, have a few of the pieces put together uh, working, you know, in tangent with each other. Yeah, I think my, my favorite line is security is a layers game, essentially. Like you said, there's not one box that ticks all because there are so many different areas with different specialisms that that are complementary, essentially. Um, and it's about making sure that you have enough of them as an organization to allow people to be productive, but at the same time not compromise the integrity of you know the security policy to to protect all of the business assets that we all work with. Well, this is yes, absolutely. I mean, you know. Assets these days seem to be everything digital, local. I thought AV was dead, I'll be honest, a couple of years back. But now everything is at the end point. Everything is based around, and you're absolutely right, we're we're sat there on wireless networks, for Christ's sake, that we can't trust, we can't do anything with. You know, we're reliant on the security of, of the VPN. And I think going forward, you guys mentioned like layers and what have you, and the whole defense in depth model. You know, I see it as an iceberg. And when I do modeling, I, I try to model my defense in depth on an iceberg. So you've got the bit at the top, the tip, that sits above the waterline, the visible security, the stuff that it's like having the smile you're on CCTV or beware of the dog. You might not have a dog, you might not have CCTV, you might have a dummy camera there. But, it, you know, it's that level of security that's loud enough for you to kind of deter the basic criminal types or malicious actors, as, as we all term it nowadays. The real security sits underneath the waterline. Policies, procedures, endpoint security, file integrity monitoring was, was you know, for a long time, province of PC, you know, companies seeking PCI compliance. Now it's, it's become a factor in pretty much everybody, you know, for everybody and everything. Encryption, as I mentioned before, encryption has come back with a staggering comeback. There's still that level of distrust with it, what happens if the keys disappear, what happens if we lose the keys, which was always quite scary for people adopting, you know, large-scale encryption. But we don't have an option anymore. We just don't, we can't afford to carry on doing security the way that we've been doing it. We're having to do a full review of that defense in depth. And I don't think it's a bad thing because, quite frankly, I think there's been a lot of products that have been sticking around for a while that people have been using because they're cheap. They're not really particularly effective. And we've got such a rich tool base now out there in the security space. We actually have to be careful that we don't over-tool half of the time. With the right modeling, you can really refresh your security stack with some really innovative products, really innovative products and concepts as well, because we have to move with the times and where, where technology is going. Obviously, our time is running out. So what are your closing thoughts, Aaron, on where you think things are going to be? Where are we going to be in five years, 10 years? I'm, I'm not even sure there's an answer to that question, to be completely <laughs> honest, Jim. 
Um, you know, looking at how things have moved on in the last five to 10 years, you know, I wouldn't have thought 10 years ago when I was connecting to a Cisco picks via a thick client VPN that, you know, there'd be, you know, VPN-less technologies authenticating using biometric data through reverse encrypted proxy tunnels and things. You know, because that, that just wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even a concept back then. Um, so to be completely honest, I have no idea where things are going to go. Now, there's new smart devices coming out constantly with new capabilities. But I think the important thing is, you know, whilst portability continues to grow and maybe even we move into VR and AR based working, you know, security mm. is still needing to be at the forefront of everything we do because as technology expands, attack surfaces expand as well, leaves us more susceptible to people doing malicious things. Um, so wherever it is that remote working goes in the next five to 10 years, security just needs to be the priority, in my opinion. Absolutely. And you mentioned, it's quite interesting there, you mentioned the, sort of basically the metaverse and, and VR and AR. I do think that's probably the way things are going. And, and something else you mentioned we haven't even looked at, but I think I'm going to do a, a podcast on where we are with it because I think it's an important Important technology that has not really, again, not really been trusted and not really been used for a long time because there's a lot of problems with it. Biometric, you know, fingerprints, eye scanning, you know, obviously eye scanning, nobody wants a laser in their eye, but fingerprint biometrics has, has become very, very good these days. I know quite a few data centers now that are using that on their cabinets, for instance, you know, to, to get into the cabs. And it's great because you don't lose your key then. I mean, okay, you can lose your fingers, but let's face it, you've probably got another set of problems if you lose those. Um, you're not going to be worrying about the contents of the of the data center if you haven't got those. Andy, what are your thoughts on where 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 things are going? Yeah, I think there's going to be um, just a whole new set of technologies that you know you just mentioned, like uh, biometrics and authentication. I mean, it's, we all now wear like uh, smartwatches. There's probably going to be like smart rings and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think there is already some some versions of those on the market and things like that, um, you know, that, that sort of are directly tied to like your pulse or your heartbeat and things. So, you you know, taking, you, you can authenticate using that. And uh, and I think the quantum threat is obviously going to be um, much bigger in 10 years. Right now, it's very sort of, not early days, but, you know, it's, it's like there, I think it's going to be more sort of a, a, a much larger topic of, of discussion and, and that, Quantum safe, quantum safe algorithms, quantum safe defenses would have worked their way into software, you know, SaaS pieces of software. I think it's going to be the default to work remotely in at least in the tech industry. And I think there's going to be a more global distributed workforce. And I think there's going to be, uh, you know, some more of this sort of machine learning and cleverness uh, algorithms r running, you know, baked into software products as well at, at endpoints. And I think there's going to be sort of a a much um, larger sort of bring your own device culture at companies. Yeah. Um, you know, running work pieces of software um, on the same devices as, you know, it's the same personal device. You know, personally logging into sort of VPSs in the cloud or, you know, things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just cumbersome. It, it, it slows people down. Yeah, I think there's some of my predictions there. I think uh, there's going to be some, just some very innovative technologies. You know, we have a lot of smart people uh, working on these sorts of things. Um, so it's exciting to see where this all goes. Funny you should mention BYOD because it's, it's something I've been experiencing recently. We've been expanding the, the company and 
I can't get laptops. Obviously, we're, we're still in this massive supply chain issue. If I was a bigger company and I was recruiting, say, 30 people, I, I genuinely wouldn't be able to get 30 laptops at the moment. I don't definitely don't have 30 laptops sort of stashed. And even if I could get hold of 30 laptops, they're not all going to be the same device. So, and, and if you can't get any laptops at all, because let's face it, China's been having some problems with more lockdowns recently, and it's, that's further knocked on the issue. Where do we go with that? Where do we go from there? There's, there's, no, there's no choice then. Well, yeah, the, 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 the thing is, I mean, that you, get, you also get sort of quite people that are set in their own ways of like, you know, people that run a Mac, right? They're like, I will not touch a Windows, <laughs> you know, ever, right? And then you get the, the Ubuntu and Linux group. And if you have company policy that you're, you know, issuing Lenovo ThinkPads, like you, you're going to annoy a lot of people. People like using the tools that they want to use or the, you know, the devices they want to use. So we can build software products that uh, run all of these devices and, and uh, you know, enable that BYOD. Mm. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting future, I think. Um, but anyway, our time is done. So Andy, Aaron, thank you ever so much for joining us for this podcast. We'd love to see you back. There's plenty of things to talk about. We've mentioned quite a few of them. Just in here, I'm going to go off and add them to the list of stuff to talk about for this, you know, for, for this kind of medium. And it's, it's always good to get your insight. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much, Andy. Thanks, Aaron. It's been, it's been great speaking to you. So we've reached the end of the podcast. Thank you ever so much. We've got a number of different topics that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months. And obviously we've just added a few, a few more to them today. So. If there is anything particular you would like us to cover, or if you've got any questions, then please feel free to get in contact with us. So look after yourselves, everybody out there, and we'll see you soon with the next podcast. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.